When I was younger, way younger, uh, you know, I'm totally smarter than this now. I was about 18 years old. I was working at a Christian summer camp called Sky Ranch in Ohio, kind of Amish country, rolling hills, beautiful, secluded, awesome. And one, it must have been a weekend because they were having us staff kind of help move things around at the camp and pick up things and shift them from point A to point B and get things ready. And I was told in a meeting as we were breaking up, I'm like, hey, Ben, there's this work truck out in the parking lot. Would you grab that and drive it all the way over to the, some guest housing we have? We need to get some things in the bed and, and drive it back. And I was like, that sounds awesome. You know, I'm an 18-year-old. I drive a Ford Taurus that was given to me from someone who was given to me, them, from someone who was given to them, right? Like, I'm like, a truck? That sounds amazing. Well, I should have thought about a Christian camp's work truck and the state it was in before I got too excited, right? Well, as I'm out the door, uh, this kind of shout comes after me. Oh, it's a manual transmission. Is that okay? And I'm an 18-year-old guy. I'm not going to admit that I don't know something. And I had ridden some manual transmission engines. I had done some, like, dirt bike stuff. I, I had known that you have to engage a clutch and shift gears. And I'm like, how hard can it be? So I, you know, gave a thumbs up and a nod. Like, I knew how to operate a manual transmission. Just left off that I only knew how to operate one theoretically, not in practice. And knowing how to drive something and operate something matters, it turns out. Because I come up to this truck like, okay, it's a manual transmission. I'm going to figure this out. And I get in, and I'm thinking it through. I'm like, okay, there's, I, I see a third pedal on the floor. That's the clutch, okay. Um, I'm looking for the stick shift. It's not where I think it would be. But I'm like, you know, maybe it's like on the steering column here. I, I don't know these things. And so I'm getting it all figured out, and I'm starting it up, and it's kind of starting, and I get it into reverse somehow, and, you know, we're jerky, we're going back, you know, clunkily, and then we start going down this dirt trail, and guys, we are like jolting and starting, and jolting and starting, and the engine sounds weird, and things are starting to smell funny, and I'm like losing my mind. Like, I'm so embarrassed, but I can't admit defeat, because I've said I know how to operate this thing, and I got to get the job done. Well, about three-quarters of the way there, and the worst riding experience anyone's ever had, I, it dawns on me. This isn't a manual transmission vehicle. This is an automatic transmission vehicle. And that stick shift that I was thinking I was operating was just the, sh the gearbox, the shift changer, like, you know, reverse drive. Like, that was it. And that clutch I kept pressing all the time wasn't the clutch, it was the emergency brake. <laughs> and suddenly, the ride experience was improved because I knew how to operate this thing. And you know, the funny thing is, to my embarrassment, I had known how to operate this truck before I got in. It was my assumption that it needed to be operate different, operated differently that ruined the ride for everyone involved and uh, shamed me for a very long time to come. See, knowing how to operate something matters. I hijacked that truck ride because I didn't know how to operate, or I thought I didn't know how to operate what 
I should have understood because I had lots of experience and the instructions were readily available. Church family, I think it's possible to hijack the experience of growing spiritually by trying to operate ourselves and our church within a way or against a way that God's clearly called a church to operate. And for many of us, because of maybe bad church experiences in the past or false expectations of each other or what the organization is called to do, we can end up hijacking our own experience of growing in this community because we misunderstand or we're trying to misapply operating instructions that God has left for his church. And that's what we wanted to do here for three weeks is to clarify how our church is meant to operate, how we are meant to grow in our faith with God here at Bethel Church. We want to clarify how we are to grow here. And we've talked for three weeks now, this is our third week, about the purpose of our church, the purpose that we see laid out in God's word for all churches, and that is to make disciples of Jesus Christ whose lives are all about him. And we're excited next weekend to highlight that in a bigger way at our All About Him Sunday, our 25th annual All About Him Sunday, where we remind ourselves as a church body who Christ is and how we follow him. I invite you, make sure you're here. If you're afraid of the church picnic food, come for the All About Him service experience and just sneak out the back. We'll shame you later. It's okay. As disciples, we are meant to then engage, we believe, in four priorities. The priority of worship, that to grow here we ought to worship God. The priority of community, where last week Pastor Scott talked to us so well about the fact that to grow here, we have to commit to community life together. Today we're going to wrap up by looking at the priorities of mission and service. That to grow here, we have to live on mission. That's the thought for today. To grow here, we must live on mission. And there's maybe no better place to go when looking at the mission God has called his church to than a well-known, I hope, well-loved passage by all of us, and that's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. I hope your Bibles are worn out on this page, and we will visit it again because it works it is worth repeating. Would you join me in Matthew chapter 28? We'll pick it up in verse 16. We'll see two main thrusts, what our job is and what God's job is here as we look at the church's mission. So let's read it this morning. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubt it. I love that they worship what we see. One of our primary values are, and I'm encouraged that some doubt it. Because I know as we sit here today, our church family has had a week or a summer or a year where it's easy to wonder, where it's easy to call out, where even though you have a lifetime of proof, that God is who he says he is, that he is good, that he is faithful. Even though you look at his word and believe what it says, your heart 
wonders and is troubled and is heavy. I'm encouraged that even some of Jesus' closest disciples, even when he was there with him, resurrected from death, are still going, I just don't know. I just can't get my head around this. Jesus has a place for us, even when we're there. And he came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Theologian reflecting on this passage, wrote, Jesus' universal lordship now demands a universal mission. His universal lordship now demands a universal mission. And we see here right away a job that we, the church, we, the followers of Jesus, are called to do. Our job is going to make disciples. Going, make disciples. Disciples. That is our job. Where we are now, right? Where we are right now. Your job, your school, your assignment, your things that you're behind on, your list of people who frustrate you, that you love. Where you are now, where you're going, the the career step you hope to make, the season of life that you hope is ahead, the season of life you're afraid of that's ahead where you're going, we're called to be multiplying new believers in Jesus and equipping them to follow the ways and words of Jesus. We're called to be multiplying new believers in Jesus, equipping them to follow the ways and the words of Jesus. Our job is to make disciples as we go. I'd like to break this down into our two values today. The first is mission. A mission to proclaim what we've received. That's a part of our job, to proclaim what we've received. The gospel that we've believed in, the truths about who Jesus is, we are to make them known to the world around us. We see that where Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's calling us to make disciples. Making disciples here... you may have heard famously, is the main verb structure in this phrase. The way Jesus spoke it really felt like, make disciples as you go. Make disciples. Our job from God, our value as a church, involves mission. Proclaiming who Jesus is. That he has died for us. That we can repent of our sins and believe in him. So that many others may believe and then be baptized. That initial first public sign of a change that's happened. Of a new and living faith to follow Jesus. That's a part of our mission. It's not a thing we hire other people to do. It's a thing we are all called into. We're called to mission. And and he gives us a zone where we are to practice mission. He says, going, as you go, 
going into the world, wherever and anywhere you are, that's where mission happens. That's where mission happens. Jesus is acknowledging life is going to take you places. And life, I mean, it bumps you into people. And as you go through life, proclaim what you've received, the hope you have to everyone around you in all of those moments. Our mission as a church, our mission starts in the networks we already have, in the neighborhoods we happen to live in, on the social media accounts we already operate. It's on the sidelines of our kids' extracurriculars and where we get together with other people. Our mission starts there. It starts in unexpected moments that you're not ready for, but, but you're prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. It ought to be cultivated moments. It ought to be not just something we accidentally get to do, but something we purposefully plan and make space in our lives and relationships to do. To grow here at Bethel Church, God is calling us to keep schedules and cultivate spaces where we have opportunities to engage mission. As I thought through that this week, I was convicted about a specific area in my life. I'm always growing with anything I read, God's word. And for me, honestly, this week, one of the things I was convicted about is silly and it's simple. But it's part of my routine. For four or five years now, I have been the family's grocery shopper. Because it was a really great way to get out of the house for a while. I'm telling you, in the depths of Michigan's lockdown, Aldi felt like freedom. And, uh, and, you know, the kids couldn't all come, right? And so that was freedom for a little bit. There was some selfish motivation, I'll be honest. But one of the routines I've settled in on over the years was I love reading, I love podcasts, I love hearing other people talk about God's word and and time is limited, and I don't always get to sit down with a physical book like I'd like, but something I do have are drive times and grocery shopping. And I've turned into, over the years, a headphone grocery shopper. You've seen us. You dislike us. Most of us are okay with that, right? And it's great. I can kind of check out. I'm just grabbing things off the shelf, listening to whatever I'm listening to, and I don't have to interact with anybody. And as I thought through this passage today, and this week, as I thought through that God's called us to be on mission as we go, where we go, this isn't a command for anybody. This is what God was doing to me. I think that's something he's calling me to put down. Not because it guarantees anything. Frankly, it'll probably just make other people awkward. What is this man doing in this grocery store all by himself, buying groceries? He's a threat. I had that effect on people, right? But I think for me, it's God's calling me to to reevaluate. Why is it that I'm okay with in spheres of my life that I could bump into other people made in his image? I'm pretty intent on boxing them out. And as a pastor, someone who usually bumps and rubs shoulders with people who already know Jesus, I'm really suffocating any moments in my life where I might run into people who live their lives otherwise. 
And so for me, that's something he's convicting me about. In part because I saw the Irwin family model the opposite all summer long. Man, did you hear about uh, Scott and Bethany Irwin together hosting their like free donut Fridays? There was some community built in, I think, there. There, there, was, there was some spiritual life, other people that helped create an environment. But, but they hosted a Friday morning for like an hour, or early enough that people could stop in on their morning walk or their way into work. They just set up something in their front yard, in their neighborhood, with free donuts and kids running around so that they could have an open door to everyone in their community. So they could get to know them. So they could intentionally cultivate a space so that they might have an opportunity to be on mission. That's exactly the starting point of what God has called his church family into. That we have a mission to be engaged anywhere we go. But anywhere we go isn't the limit. In fact, Jesus established a minimum required coverage area here. He says, going, go therefore to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. God doesn't limit his interest to a single people or single nation or group. So he's essentially saying, as you go, as you're on mission, anywhere you go, make sure you at least go everywhere that people made in my image exist. It's important that we recognize that God isn't cheaply interested in a nation being blessed. He's interested in all people from every nation having the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel so that they may see and enjoy him forever. This is why Bethel Church is committed to many partnerships across the globe with people who are advancing this cause. We try to structure it like this, saying, like, we want to pray, we want to send, we want to go. We want to pray and send and go, that, to fully engage with this mission, so that as we go, this mission makes it everywhere people exist. We need to be praying consistently and passionately for the work of the gospel across the world, especially and specifically through the partnerships and relationships we have and we've stepped into. That Beyond praying, as we pray, that's developing an awareness that leads to a burden that gets us into prayer and that sends us into action, we ought to send. Supporting partners, investing generously out of our monies as a church family and personally to support that work. And then we're to go. We, We at Bethel believe God's word calls us to be ready to go. We go on short term trips, and in fact, we. We have four international short-term trips coming up within the calendar year from now. And I, I hope and pray that you would be considering that God may have called you to be a part of one of those trips. To see and be a part of what he's doing. But we're also called to go, meaning we expect at Bethel Church, God might be calling some of our family to leverage a season of life they're in, a retirement season of life ahead, to go. God might be calling you to leave your job in order to turn your attention fully to this mission. We expect that God will be doing that here. We expect that perhaps he would call you to keep your job but relocate it overseas so that you could be a part of what God is doing in another church family that desperately needs good partners to support and be a part of what he's doing there. There's all sorts of ways to go so that the mission gets to every people group but we fully expect we ought to go 
So at Bethel Church, to grow here, we need to be on mission. And, and maybe specifically, I should say it this way. You know, as a church, we want to see growth here. Like that, That's a good thing we, we know. and We're thrilled that we've seen growth happen here over the course of, of the seven, eight years now of this church history. But if we've hit, you know, 600 or so people usually, we would expect that we ought to only be at about 670 five years from now because hopefully about 200 of us are getting called into mission elsewhere. That we're not just staying we're going so that the whole world knows about Jesus. And I want to keep that in front of us as a church family. That the gospel isn't just good news for us here and now, but it's good news for those who haven't heard it yet. And we ought to be so burdened and uncomfortable by that, that we ourselves are called and moved into action. To grow here, we must obey Jesus. And he's called us into a mission. Something I, I am excited about, and it's simple in the background, but I'm going to take a minute to describe it here for a second, is an initiative we're going to start here at, at our campus and over at the Cedar Lake campus for sure anyway, uh, is a Live on Mission initiative. And you might see a, a slide like this every now and then on social media or in announcements or uh, in an email coming your way soon. And, and our hope for this is this, that we would have a simple, small, organic, and unstructured nudge every single month in our church family's life to move our family more and more into the mission God's prepared for us right where we live. So you're going to hear from us consistently going forward a nudge every month, a live on mission idea. Something like in September, which is we're going to be providing a resource and encouragement in September. Have a prayer walk with your family unit, maybe a small group, whatever it might be. Have a prayer walk in the neighborhood where you live intentionally asking God to move your heart and your mind for the people who live around you. Maybe a prayer walk in your place of work, the people who work around you, so that you are more and more aware and God is more and more at work through you towards those people. That's a simple, small thing. In the next month, it will be another simple, small thing. But as a church, we want to more and more fully step into the mission God has called us to. So our job involves mission, but it also includes service. God has given us a mission. Our job is as we go to make disciples, and that job includes living on mission and action in service. Service is working as we're gifted. Jesus says, hey, you're teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You're teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus specifically here says teaching, but he says you're going to teach them so that they are so discipled, they are walking in all the ways that I've asked them to walk. And you and I both know it's not just teaching that accomplishes it. That God has given many gifts that through many acts of service, like encouragement or administration of, of the way things are operating, or truth-telling, or hospitality, or uh, prayer for each other, that through many different and diverse gifts, Together, working on our hearts and minds, we are made into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. The church needs together, across a diversity of gifts, to be working so that we can equip each other to obey Jesus. That's a part of our job that Jesus gave to us, to live in service. 
I appreciate the way Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4 when he says, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. For whoever speaks, one who speaks the oracle of, of God, whoever serves, one serves by the strength God provides in order that in everything, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. So at Bethel, we, we want to react to this. We know that everyone's given a gift and ought to use it to serve one another, to engage in service. And Peter's logic here is worthy of note. Peter points out, hey, the ability to do this work, that's from God. God gave us the gift, the spiritual giftedness. God is the one who gave us that. It's, uh, uh, we're recipients of his grace to do this. So the ability to do the work is from God. And Peter says, the beneficiary of our work is one another. The others in the church family. One another. The ability to do the work is from God. The beneficiary of the work is the church. So to grow at Bethel, we have to engage in service, working as we're gifted, so that together we may grow into the person and likeness of Jesus Christ. So we have programs here where people can serve, where people are taught, where people are encouraged and prayed for and known. Those programs help us to grow. But I think so often, like the way I misunderstood how to drive a truck, we think of these programs in, in smaller ways than they deserve. Sometimes I think we imagine these programs are trains. And that for most people, it's just something you get on and it whisks you towards Christ-likeness. You're a writer. And, and then there's a couple people who are the engineers, right? They do the work on the train. But like, that's them. Most of us, we just get on the train and it takes us somewhere. That's what a program is. And so when we announce our fall launch, and we've got a one, and we've got this women's, women of the word gathering, we've got all these things happening, we think, well, maybe I should get on because I'll be a writer. It'll, it'll help me. Or, or maybe a few of us, just a very few of us, ought to be engineers on that, on that train. But that's a faulty understanding. I think a better way to understand Bethel Church is that our programs, our ministries, they're ecosystems. They're ecosystems. I was at a zoo yesterday with our, with our kids and some friends, and we saw all these little ecosystems, these little pens and cages, right? And as an adult, you know, the zoo's okay. I'd like to be that bear just laying on the ground doing nothing all day. But here I am chasing my family all over the place, right? Like, the kids loved it, and, and I, I found myself thinking, you know, the bear's just sleeping there, and that animal's just eating in straw, and... You know what would make the zoo better? Is if we put all these animals in cages together. <laughs> I mean, that would sell tickets, wouldn't it? Like, I'd pay way more to go to a zoo where it's like the lion in the same cage as the emu. Like, that would be exciting. Or like uh, the bear in the same cage as the monkeys, right? Like, I know who's going to win that one. Monkeys can be pretty annoying, right? Like, uh, or, or what if we put these different things in the same ecosystem together? That would be exciting. Now, the illustration is imperfect. They'd also probably kill each other, but maybe that's more like the church than we want to imagine. Given the illustration shortcomings, I think our ministries are meant to be more like ecosystems where diverse people are coming together with different giftednesses 
And when we're together, the word of God, which is alive, comes together with acts of service from people coming in contact with each other in a way that helps one another grow. That doesn't matter if you're a participant in the ministry and program or a leader or volunteer, that you're together in an ecosystem. And as the teacher, you're changed by the participants. And as a participant, you are to help and grow and affect each other, leveraging the giftedness that God has given you, uh, putting all of you together under the living truth of God's word so that together there's something exciting that happens. They're not trains, they're ecosystems. For our church to thrive, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ need to leverage their gifts through service to each other. Service and mission. That's how we grow here. To grow here, we live on mission. And I want to quickly note that I think there's three motivations that ought to affect our desire to live on that mission. We live on mission first because Jesus deserves our entire obedience. We live on mission because Jesus deserves our entire obedience. We can't fall short at mostly obeying. You know, like, there's a lot of God's word that I'm trying my best to obey, and I'm doing pretty good. I'm living without sin, and I'm praying all the time, and I'm coming to church, and I'm, I'm doing all this stuff right. But... If in the middle of being that great at your walk in faith, you aren't cultivating, creating space to live on mission, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and to serve out of the giftedness that God's given you, the people around you, you're at least still disobedient, and perhaps even worse, missing the entire point Jesus has for his family. It's all of our jobs We see throughout the New Testament that older women are to train younger women, that Paul was training Timothy to train others, that fathers were to be investing in and discipling their children, that all Christians were to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and stir each other up to love and good works. We saw Priscilla and Aquila speaking into Apollos to help him understand better the truth he was learning. You see discipleship coming from every person and every angle all over the place and the body of Christ as it was formed. And I ought to feel that way still today, living in service to each other, engaging in mission everywhere we go to the ends of the world. We live on mission because Jesus deserves our entire obedience. We live on mission because Jesus deserves our entire lives. Our entire lives. That seeing people be saved is only the beginning. And we're not content just to help people pray a prayer, as it were. We are called to make disciples of all of who they are. That's why it matters that we're submitting to all of his word and continually investing. It isn't something that like, oh, good, I'm saved. Now I'm gone. It's, oh, great, I've been reborn. Now I'm grafted into a family that continues to reform me. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. The gospel isn't good news just for eternity one day. It's good news and life-altering today and the next day and the next day until eternity comes. And finally, we live on mission because Jesus deserves the glory of the entire world. The entire world. 
Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, said that God had highly exalted Jesus and given him a name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one day, all will. But all the better that before Jesus returns, more and more will. That more and more from every people made in his image could be restored to the person God intended them to be. More and more might rejoice to be made alive by grace through faith. We serve and engage in his mission. Knowing that ultimately it isn't us who does this work. That's his power working through his gifts, keeping who he is called through the redemption he has purposed, adopting into his family. That by living on mission, we grow. We're built into a structure where he's the capstone, a body where he's the head, a marriage where he's the bridegroom, a family where he's the father, the only king, righteous, mighty, and good forever. So it's our job to live on mission doing the work of service, and proclaiming who he is. And as Daniel comes to stage to help us respond to that king, I want to acknowledge that it's a big job. It's a big job. But Jesus has a job here too. He said here in Matthew that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to him. He hasn't given it up. And he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' job is he maintains his authority over everything in our world and lives, and he is with us. That's what he says he's up to. Jesus is with us and over us. And I think it's compelling that Matthew, chronicling the the story and life of Jesus, opened up his telling of the person and work of Jesus in chapter 1 saying that, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here, at the very end of his book, having said that Jesus had come to be with us, Jesus ends with his last word saying, I'm still Emmanuel. I'm still with you. We proclaim the rescue of a king who is with us as we engage in his mission. That we serve in a diversity of ways with giftedness he empowers, all the while we're in his presence. So our mission isn't an impossible to-do list. It's a proclamation of delight and a rescuer who is alive and ruling and present. Our service when we invite our church family into roles and opportunities, into equipping you to use the giftness he's given you, our service is not a guilt-induced slot to fill. No, it's what overflows from what we do when we're abiding with a Savior who is with us. To grow here, we live on mission. We live on a mission with a king who brought that mission to us and is advancing it through us so that he receives all glory and praise and honor forever. Let's get on his mission.